Hey everyone, welcome to the Roadmap Benzinga's NFT show. We got a good one for you today. We've been breaking down all things FTX over the last week. And today we are joined by someone who maybe predicted the fall of FTX. He had a great Twitter thread that didn't get noticed by a ton of people, but man, are people noticing it now. So we will walk through what were some of the warning signs, the red flags, and what to look for now in the crypto industry. Alyssa and I will also be breaking down some NFT news. What were some of the top movers last week? Why is the floor of Bored Apes falling? And could the World Cup have an impact on several NFT projects and also athletes? All that and more. Don't go anywhere. This is The Roadmap. All right, everyone, as you heard me say, this is the Roadmap, Benzinga's NFT and crypto show. And we got so much to get into today uh, and a very, very exciting interview. Before we kick off today's episode, want to give a shout out to our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by So Rare. So Rare is a global sports game and entertainment platform that empowers fans to live their passion for sports at a deeper level by collecting officially licensed digital player cards, Major League Baseball, National Basketball Association, several soccer leagues, and also the World Cup are all uh, playable games and leagues on the platform. You can find out more on Thursday's episode when Mitch and I break down our lineups and who we are buying on the platform. But don't wait, sign up now, get 20 free So Rare cards, and also get a free limited card when you buy five cards on the market when you use Benzinga's link. Uh, but check out So Rare uh, digital trading cards and NBA season going on right now and the World Cup competition starting on the platform later this week. And we will have more on that later. And before we get into the interview, also want to give a quick shout out. Benzinga is hosting our Future of Crypto event December 7th in New York City. Click on the link, get 20% off your ticket. And if you want to know more about where crypto is, and also hear several people uh, impacted by FTX, Kevin O'Leary and Anthony Scaramucci, they will be speaking and answering questions on what happened with FTX. So definitely excited for that. Uh, but without further ado, I think it is time to get started with our interview today. Um, I want to go ahead and drop his Twitter handle here in the chat. But again, if you guys don't know him, uh, his pinned tweet highlights back in early October why he was pulling his money out of FTX. So I want to give a big welcome to the roadmap to Ishan. Ishan, how are you doing today? Uh, doing great, Chris. Glad to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course. So we saw your Twitter thread and we reached out because we, we've got to know more, right? Like not a lot of people saw huge red flags or warning signs with FTX. That includes investors, 
celebrities, athletes, and just overall crypto uh, investors. And, you know, you started to see some of these red flags and warning signs and you put out this thread and gave people a warning and, you know, I, I wish more people would have listened, but uh, unfortunately they probably didn't. But uh, but before we get into that thread, Ishan, let, let's back up and just talk, you know, how long have you been investing in cryptocurrency and what's some of your earliest experiences in the sector? Yeah. Um, so, so my background uh, before I, I got really deep into crypto was uh, I was in private equity, uh, had my own private equity fund. Um, and then uh, essentially I shaved off like a large a piece of our portfolio and uh, ended up getting a lot of free time. Um, I had always dabbled a little bit. Um, you know, I, I call it a Coinbase investor, right? Where, uh, you know, kind of that 2017, 2020 range where, uh, you know, you you buy some coins on Coinbase, you show your friends, you watch a number go up, you talk about it a little bit, right? But like not really, uh, you know, diving deep into like what the technology is. Um, obviously like the Bitcoin value prop is like pretty simple and self-explanatory, right? But I, you know, didn't really start to dive into like the Ethereum ecosystem and like smart contracts and stuff like that until like late 2019, early 2020. Um, and so I had uh, I had some friends show me kind of some of the early DeFi blue chip primitives, uh, you know, MakerDAO, Compound, Aave. Um, and that's when, as soon as I saw those, that it, it was just like an immediate light bulb for me. I was just like, okay, this is like not, you know, the Ponzi-nomic Dogecoin stuff that everybody likes to talk about, right? I, I saw FinTech SaaS and, and I just saw a massive efficiency that was created and, uh, you know, that, that, that I believe is like a lot more preferential than like traditional banking systems. And so as soon as I saw it, it, it was just a light bulb for me. And I was like, okay, like this is like legit FinTech SaaS that could probably take down uh, a, a good portion of traditional finance system. And so from there, I just kind of continued to dive deeper in, build my thesis. And, and, and from there, I started, uh, I started working in the space. Um, so so I, I'm an analyst, I'm a writer. Um, and, and so I, I write for projects specifically. Um, so I will, you know, help, uh, you know, I've worked with some top 100 market cap projects, uh, mostly working in DeFi, helping them write, uh, you know, kind of tell their story. The way I like to think about it is like DeFi has this awesome narrative and, and I like to work to kind of help projects, uh, kind of explain their narrative and, and, and help them find product market fit. Um, so I've been doing that for a little over a year now. Awesome. Well, thanks for that background. So, you, you know, you had an account um, with FTX. Uh, so tell us about that. Was FTX then, you know, one of your main accounts, your biggest account? Obviously, don't share with us, you know, dollar amounts. But like, where did FTX rank? Did you have multiple platforms? Um, you know, how did they fit into the conversation and your history? Yeah. Um, so, so I think there's two different ways to look at it, right? There's FTX and then there's FTX US. Um, so, so living in the U.S., uh, you know, once FTX started to do KYC, um, know your customer, then it became very difficult to use the base FTX platform. Um, so most people just kind of moved over to FTX U.S. Um, so I, I had funds on FTX U.S., not like a significant portion of my portfolio by any means. Um, you know, I have always felt very strongly about the like decentralized, uh, you know, the decentralized thesis, right? And like, uh, you know, not your keys, not your crypto, um, and, and the importance of kind of, uh, you know, keeping cold storage and and not keeping hot wallets and not keeping things on exchanges. Um, so uh, I, I do keep, uh, you know, vast majority of my portfolio in cold wallets. But um, you know, I usually what you tend to use uh, exchanges for um, is is one, you know, access to. Uh, you know, at least on FTX and, and the actual FTX.com was like long tail assets, right? Like being able to get um, leverage on smaller market cap projects um, and being able to trade those with leverage. 
And then uh, the other thing was onboarding, right? On-ramp, off-ramp. Um, and that was mostly like the FTX US side where, you know, it's kind of tough and expensive for the average person to go from dollars in their bank account to crypto. Um, and, uh, you know, FTX was a relatively easy way to do that. Um, but that was most of my exposure to FTX as a platform um, was, yeah, but it was mostly just like on-ramping, off-ramping, keeping a little bit here, there. And then, um, yeah, so, so, so not, not a crazy amount of exposure by any means. Perfect. Appreciate, you know, that honesty and that background there. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into um, this Twitter thread. And I know uh, Alyssa can bring it up here, but I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack and, and we'll kind of go by. So, um, you know, you, you tweeted this out, uh, I believe it was October 5th. Um, and you said, you know, you're taking your capital out of FTX. You also went short FTT, which is the FTX token. Um, and you said something shady is going on at FTX. So let's just start with like the overall theme. What was the big picture thesis of, you know, why pull your money in and also go short? Was it a decision, you know, instead of doing one or the other, why just go all in and both? Yeah, I, I think it speaks to a certain level of conviction, right? Like, you know, that's like a, a concept that I'm just like fascinated about in the space, especially in like such an emerging category, like like Web3, like crypto, right? Um, where, you know, to, to be the, the, the ability to build that level of conviction where you have, just have so much confidence in something happening um, is, is something that I'm very, that I've always been fascinated by and something that really brought me into the space, right? Like think about the people that had the conviction to hold Bitcoin from 2013, the people that had the conviction to hold Ethereum from presale, um, so, so I, it's kind of just a general theme of like, I like to, you know, take very calculated bets, but, you know, I, I only take, you know, uh, a, a, I guess like a high, uh, you know, percentage of my portfolio if I have like almost absolute conviction. Um, and so, so, so the conviction that I got for this, uh, for, for, for like FTX being a little bit, you know, something shady happening there was uh it, it, it kind of started somewhere simple right you know i'm not like a you know I, I, it did not start with like a zach xbt style like oh i i started running through all the wallets and i started to add up all the balances like that's not really even possible with centralized exchanges because they have you know you you have no idea about their liabilities of customer deposits right because those are held on platform and centralized platform that you can't get access to so you could try to like mismatch deposits but there's so many different wallets and then you also have like the alameda wallets you have the ftx.com wallets you have the ftx us wallets so it, that's like uh, it, it would have been really impossible to be able to build a full thesis using like full on-chain data. Uh, it just wouldn't be possible with the within centralized exchange. Um, so where originally my thesis started um, was I started to see the string of executives leaving. So I, I think it's like number four or five on my list. Um, but uh, th that was like when I first started to say, OK, something's going on here. Right. So first you saw and I, I want to say it was like around August uh, 2020 or sorry, 2022, you saw um Alameda Research CEO, uh, Sam Trabuco leave, um, which was a, a little bit weird because he is one of the OGs. You know, he had been there since the absolute start. Him and Sam are, are supposedly very good friends. Um, so, so that was a little sketchy, but, you know, totally possible that he's just like post-economic at this point, you know, has, has too much money to care to work. Um, so very likely, right? The, the way that people talked about the way Alameda printed cash, totally plausible, right? But then the second one, you saw maybe uh, two to three weeks later, uh, FTX US CEO, Brett Harrison, and he had also left and stepped down. 
And that was the main one that got me really digging deep into something that, that there had to be something going on there, right? Because if you were to look at, okay, well, Brett Harrison started at FTX US, uh, as CEO of FTX US uh, around May, 2021. And so being there like a little over a year, right? Like traditionally, if you worked in any startup, you understand like vesting schedules, right? And so you understand like typically at a startup, you see a four-year vest with a one-year cliff. What that means is that they're going to give you a certain equity uh, package as part of your compensation. And usually the way that equity is given to you is, it, you know, they're not going to give you the full whatever 10% equity that they offer you upfront because you're just going to take it and leave. Right. So what they do is they give you a one-year cliff saying, Hey, you don't get any equity until you hit the one-year mark. And then from that one year to four year mark, every month will give you a little more equity, a little more equity. Right. And so if you were to uh, ascribe to the, the, the notion that, um, that, that, FTX is doing very well, right? They just raised at a $30 billion valuation. If they're raising at a $30 billion valuation and you are the CEO of the $9 billion FTX US arm, you're talking about a generational wealth of equity that you would be given, right? So if you were getting generational wealth in equity, uh, you would probably stay a little bit longer than like just over your cliff, right? You would probably stay like a, a sustained amount of time. And so that's when I was like, something's definitely up here. And then what really finalized it for me was like maybe two weeks later, you saw the head of institutional and OTC at FTX, uh, Jonathan Cheeseman, leave. And, you know, it, when you're the head of over-the-counter trading, OTC trading, and you're the head of institutional trading, you're doing a lot of big deals, right? You're doing massive deals over-the-counter um, where you're, you're doing, you know, deals in the millions, right? Hundreds of thousands, if not in the millions, if not in the, you know, multiple millions, right? And so when you're making these massive trades like this in, 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 in an OTC desk, then uh, you're going to get a, a really good idea of what the, uh, you know, kind of financial health of the business is because you're going to see where they're pulling this cash out of, right? If somebody wants a million Solana tokens, right, which would be like $14 million, they're pulling those tokens out of somewhere and that's giving you an idea of how much liquidity they have and where. Right. And so as soon as he left, that was like something was definitely wrong because he's got the best view of what's going on at scale with their assets. And if he thinks something's wrong, you know, FTX US CEO probably thinks something wrong. And then Sam SBF's best friend, Sam Trabuco, is also leaving where one of his top confidants, you know, his essentially right hand man for the entire time he was the CEO of Alameda. That's when something was definitely wrong. Right. So so I, I think we can establish that, OK, that's like a really shady string of, of, of executives leaving. So then that's when I started to say, OK, well, like what else is going on here? Right. And so then I started to do a little bit of the like kind of legwork of looking into, OK, well, let's look at derivative volume. Right. Let's look at volume on platform. Right. Uh, exchanges are kind of known for uh, and I, I think this is the first one. Um, and so so exchanges are known for, uh, you know, the more volume you do, the more money you make. Right. Because you make money on fees. Um, so as soon as volume starts to decrease, obviously your revenue goes down, right? But if you were to look at proportionally compared to not only the other exchanges like your Binance's, your BitMEX's um, and, and, and other exchanges, but if you were to also look at, um, you know, the, the, the proportion of how much FTX's volume is dropping, it was definitely a significant hit to top line revenue, right? And so if your top line revenue is being hit significantly, not only because you're losing market share at a higher proportion than your competitors, but also you have this entire category growing of decentralized derivative trading products, right? Which is probably your biggest, uh, you know, I, I guess competitor that can take market share, right? So you have like GMX, you have Gains Network, 
um, and, 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 and you have DYDX, right? And these are like the three biggest platforms that allow you to trade derivatives in a similar way that you would on FTX. But the kicker is that it's not custodial, right? Uh, DYDX is slightly custodial, but GMX and GNS are, are both non-custodial, right? So you make your trade with however much leverage you want. And then as soon as you close your trade, you get all that cash back in your wallet and no one can touch it anymore, right? Because only you have access to your wallet. Um, so you saw that also the, not only were FTX's volume decreasing, so their revenue is decreasing, but they were losing market, not only to competitors, but also these decentralized competitors in a whole other category. Okay, so top executives are leaving and revenue is probably down, right? Safe to say. And then you start to look at, oh, okay, well, like if they're down revenue, like what, what does their balance sheet kind of look like? I, I saw Brian Armstrong articulate this very well um, on, on the All In podcast where, where he was kind of like, well, I know what Coinbase does, right? As far as what their entire revenue looks like, right? What, what, what their entire balance sheet looks like, because... <clears throat> It's a publicly traded company, besides the fact that he's a CEO, publicly traded company, right? You know that they're doing about seven million, seven billion in, in revenue. You know that they're going to do about four billion in EBITDA. Um, and then if you were to look at FTX, they're doing like, you know, maybe a billion in EBITDA. But if they're doing a billion in EBITDA, then how are they spending way more than you see Coinbase spending, right? You see Coinbase do a Super Bowl ad. You also see FTX do a Super Bowl ad. You see FTX by naming rights to uh, the Miami Heat arena. You see them launch, uh, you know, the FTX NFT platform. You see them uh, launch FTX stocks, right? And it, it, it was a lot of weird, like not direct initiatives um, that are one very expensive, right? Like launching an NFT, uh, like a US regulatory friendly NFT uh, kind of exchange on FTX US was an expensive feat. And they, are, they got almost no volume, right? Like nobody was using FTX NFT. Um, and so you started to see some of these factors build up of just like reckless spending, right? So volume is down, your top executives are leaving and you're spending money like a drunken sailor. Um, you know, that's when it was like, okay, something is definitely not right here. I need to personally protect myself and take all my money out. I'm going to tell everybody I know to start taking their money out because just on face value, the math isn't adding up. And if it's not adding up to me using big, broad numbers, then like, I mean, if you've ever run a business and you've ever like, you know, ran a balance sheet at a, at a pretty tight level, you, you know, like, you know, even a dollar here or there hurts and, and it compounds, right? If like, if you lose a dollar in revenue, that's miscalculated, then like that's multiple dollars you're losing out on, um, you know, in, in, in revenue or sorry, I, I guess if, if you're losing out on multiple dollars in, in revenue, then you're obviously going to lose out on a good amount in, in, uh, in cash flow, right? And so that's when the numbers just weren't making sense. And, and that's when I, I really kind of like solidified the thesis. And I was like, eh, something's off here. Ishan, I, I, there, there's so much to unpack here. I, I want to give a shout out. Um, in the chat, we have a comment here from Mexican Crypt that said he just followed you on Twitter um, and read the thread. Too bad I didn't follow that short position. Um, again, you know, I wish more people would have seen this thread. Um, you know, when you first had it out, myself included, I'm now following you. Um, I, I love the the big picture ideas, right? And you said that you worked in private equity before. Um, Benzinga, you know, we, we're a stock site first. We we're now in crypto, but I kind of relate it back to the stock market, right? When you see these public companies, all of a sudden the chief financial officer leaves the company. They sign a new auditor to look at their books, right? Sometimes those things start to add up and say, wait a sec, maybe these financials are not good. And for you to say, you know, when certain people left the company, it's probably a, a bad sign. 
Um, so I like that angle. I want to jump into the the sports angle here because um, we've talked about that before, right? So FTX, um, you know, Tom Brady, uh, Giselle, Steph Curry, um, and also that massive deal for the naming rights for the Miami Stadium. Um, you know, where I know you just mentioned it, but like, where did that kind of fall in? Was that like, okay, they're doing too much. They're too heavy in promotional stuff. Or was it just, you know, kind of just another red flag with the rest? Like how important was the the sports stuff? Yeah, it was. Um, and, and, and it doesn't just stop there with like the big name investors, but it's also like, you know, MLB World Series, you see the big tag on the umpire's patch, um, you know, uh, you know, if anyone's into like, uh, you know, uh, you know, obviously my background, my family's from India, right? So like the T20 Cricket World Cup, which is like probably the biggest cricket event, right? They're the, one of the main sponsors of the T20 World Cup. That's an international event, you know, billions of people watch, right? And they're also getting, you know, big spotlights there, right? So I don't think it was necessarily one thing, right? Like just on face value, $20 million a year for the naming rights to, you know, the Miami Heat Arena is on face, not a terrible investment, right? Like you get all that brand recognition, you know, I, I'm sure you get a decent ROI on that for every single customer you pick up. And the value of a single exchange customer is like, you know, like, you know, I've heard stories about FTX saying like they would spend a hundred dollars just to acquire a single customer because they know on fees that they can make that money back. Right. Um, and, and just kind of bringing them into the ecosystem. So, uh, but the problem is, is it compounds, right? So like you have that one Miami Heat, uh, you know, arena, right? But then you have, you know, these Super Bowl commercials, right? Not cheap. And then you have all of these small different initiatives. Then you have this massive venture capital budget, right? Where you're doing like, you know, massive multi-million dollar checks into like late stage rounds, right? And it just felt like there was going to be, there was a lack of liquidity there, right? Where if the volume is going down and they don't have as much cash on hand, but they're spending as if we're still in a full on bull market, uh, that those numbers just don't add up. Right. Like, and, and it's not like a specific, like, Oh, okay. 20 million plus 2 million. No, it's just like the combination of so many factors, uh, just kind of lends you to the idea that, okay, well maybe they're overspending, maybe they're not being efficient. Um, maybe they're, you know, or, or, or maybe Alameda really is just, you know, uh, printing cash like they're talking about, right? Like everyone had been talking about, oh, like Alameda was, you know, printing hundreds of millions of dollars every quarter uh, just on this like market making, right? Or maybe they're doing a little bit of the cheating, right? Where they're, you know, you know, call it like the equivalent of uh, seeing somebody's whole card in poker where, you know, if you're Alameda and then you're a market maker on FTX and you more or less carry the same CEO, or your CEOs are best friends who used to work together, right? Then are you going and are you looking at other people's trades? Are you front running, uh, you know, information in the order book? Are you, uh, you know, front running some of these trades by milliseconds in like high frequency trading scenarios, right? So something was just not fully adding up with the amount they were spending. So I think the sports are part of it, but I think it's just a larger look at like, not only was it sports, not only was it massive venture deals, uh, not only was it like, you know, getting some of the best cream of the crop as far as like not only investors, right, like your, you know, Tom Brady's and your Steph Curry's, but also like cream of the crop employees, um, you know, high paying salaries. And then the worst part of all of it was that it's a private company, right? And when you're a private company, you know, they have no board of directors, right? So they have like no overseeing due diligence, right? They have no one looking at their books. Uh, I, I still don't think, you know, anyone's actually seen like a full, you know, complete, at least like semi accurate balance sheet of what was going on at FTX, right? Or how this eight or $9 billion hole got there. Um, so, so it, yeah, it, it was just like a, like a, just too many factors at one time just started raising red flags left and right. 
Definitely. We, we've got another comment here in the chat uh, from uh, Fadu. Man saw it coming and brought the facts. Um, that's right. Ishan is here on the show with the facts. He had that great Twitter thread. Um, and now the, the question everyone's going to want to know, I think, Ishan, is, you know, have you looked at any other companies? Have you looked at any other cryptos? Um, what's on your radar now? And, you know, are you seeing a ton more red flags out there elsewhere? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're just starting a, a really bad crypto winner. I think like, you know, at first you could look at macro, right? Where macro still doesn't look good. I, I'm definitely not a macro, like a, you know, massive macro investor by any means, like definitely way smarter guys out there. But, you know, uh, you know, the smart people that I look at and I respect, a lot of them are talking about a double dip recession where we go back in and we kind of saw inflation tick down a little bit, but uh, very easily could just kind of start to tick back up. You see interest rates start to rise again and we kind of go into this double dip recession, right? So, so macro still doesn't look great, still doesn't look like we're out of the woods there, right? The second thing you're going to see is you're going to see contagion, right? And, and by contagion, we mean like, you know, other parties, there are going to be a massive number of opposite counterparties that are going to be affected by this, by this mess, right? So not only do you have like you're starting to see some of these kind of medium to high well-known venture capital funds had a large percentage of their AUM like in FTX because they were trading with it, right? Trading, trading with leverage. Um, you know, they had one of the more sophisticated uh, kind of trading engines and liquidity engines. Um, so you're going to see a lot of the, a, a lot of, you know, you saw multi-coin capital said that 10% of their AUM uh, of, of their latest fund is stuck on FTX. That money's probably gone, right? So you're talking about a $435 million fund. You're talking about 40 to $50 million of investor capital. That's just poof gone. Right. You saw Ikigai. Um, the Ikigai just went down. They had a significant portion. CMS holdings. Right. These are all like, you know, at least in crypto Twitter, I guess, crypto Twitter community. Like these are household names. Right. These are like massive funds. Some of the smartest guys in the space. And these guys are getting just absolutely blown up for no other reason than they have this capital locked on exchange. There's no more dollars left because of the bank run. And now there's no more cash for them to get, right? And you're talking about maybe a five to 10 year, maybe bankruptcy, uh, you know, hearing, like if you just look at Mt. Gox, which I think people just started getting their money from Mt. Gox and that was a decade ago. So not only is it that investors are out of capital, a lot of these, uh, or sorry, LPs, right? The people that are, you know, providing the, the, the people that are partners in these funds are, are losing their money, right? So they're going to mark it down. They're probably going to step out of crypto for a little bit, right? But a lot of these top hedge fund managers, right, um, are, are basically out of capital right now. And it's going to be a really tough time to raise, right? If you just lost, you know, 50 million of your investors' money, it's going to be pretty difficult to go out there and convince them or new people that now is the time and I'm the guy to do it, right? So there's going to be that a little bit of that liquidity crunch. And then you're looking at who else was affected in this, you know, in all of this contagion, right? So not only did you see FTX go down, right? FTX, FTX US, all their subsidiaries, right? So anybody that had significant capital on FTX is, is, is in a really, really, really tough spot, right? But then you also look at the Solana ecosystem, right? Where not only is there Solana, which got absolutely destroyed, right? In, in, in a two-day span, similar to how FTT did. Uh, you saw Kronos um, for Crypto.com's coin. They got destroyed yesterday just on the FUD and rumors that they potentially may be insolvent. Um, so, so people were, you know, going for a little bit of a bank run. They had to slow down withdrawals a little bit. I think crypto.com might be okay, but at this point you, you never know. Um, and then I'm also looking at some of these larger, um, you know, whether you want to call them venture capital funds, whether you want to call them hedge funds that do liquid markets. So one specifically that I'm keeping a really close eye on is jump. 
And and Jump does have this massive, you know, Jump is one of these o, like original OG, uh, you know, market makers. They've been doing this in TradFi for like two decades now, right? And and while that may be a very profitable operation, I, I haven't been able to really dig into how profitable Jump trading as a whole is. But if you look at just the Jump crypto subsidy or sub- subsidiary of Jump trading, right? You saw that they'd had a $300 million hack with the wormhole, which was like a, a bridge to help you go from Ethereum to Solana, right? They had a $300 million hole that they had to personally fill out of their pockets, right? And you're talking about a small portion of a larger fund, right? So you had a $300 million hole with uh, with wormhole, right? And then you saw the Luna collapse, right? And they were very involved in the Luna ecosystem. They were validators on Luna. They were very, very involved in the ecosystem. So not only Luna, but UST as well, right? They definitely had some massive liabilities there. Then now you're seeing this massive, you know, kind of spiral with Solana. So not only is it one Solana itself, right? Which, you know, they just, I, I think Jump runs the only the second validator client on Solana, Firedancer. Um, and that's like one of the only ways where you can kind of validate transactions and be a validator on Solana and use their software. So they're very heavily invested in the Solana ecosystem. But not only that, they're the number one market maker on Serum, which is, uh, you know, the Sam's uh, central limit order book and his, his take on decentralized exchange. Uh, they're one of the biggest market makers for there. I, I think, you know, I think just this week in, in like uh, probably the last seven days, I think Serum is down uh, like 90 percent. Um, so not only do you have like Serum getting absolutely destroyed, you have Radium, which is kind of like uh, two in the same, more or less. One's the front end, one's the back end, really. Um, so Radium is getting destroyed as well. They're both very heavily invested in there. And so if you just start to do these like initial rough calculations, you're talking about 300 million in, um, in, in, in Wormhole. You're talking about at least a quarter billion dollars in Luna. So that puts you at half a billion dollars. And then you're talking about this massive Solana dropdown, this massive Serum and Radium drawdown. And you start to look around and it's like, okay, well, there's no way there's not probably. And then on top of that, you have, they have a massive ETH position. Well, like ETH is, you know, half of what it was two weeks ago to a month ago. And so then you start to kind of put these rough numbers together and you're like, there has to be a billion to a billion and a half dollar hole there. And while jump trading might be big enough to bail them out, maybe they are, maybe they're not, right? I, I, I haven't been, if anyone is able to find some of that information about how big and how profitable jump is as a private company, I would love to see that. I'm dying to see it. Uh, but there's definitely going to be contagion in that, whether they want to, you know, give, you know, jump president Kanav Karia, whether they're going to give him the sack uh, for losing all this money or whether they shut down their entire crypto trading operation, which I don't think so because they invested so much. Or we've seen them be very, very quiet this week, like just pipsqueak sounds. I think we saw Kanaf put out one Twitter thread, really short Twitter thread, super generic. And there's something in my gut that's just telling me that that Jump is just such a massive player, so big in the Solana ecosystem that there's no way they're not at least hurting very hard, like very, very hard. Let, let's stick with Solana for a minute. So, you know, we talk obviously NFTs a lot on this show and uh, Ethereum, you know, dominated for a while and Solana started to gain some momentum in the NFT space, right? We had some bigger projects this year, Degods, Utes, Trippinate Tribe um, and, and others. Like, what do you what do you say or what do you think about those Solana NFTs now? Like, should they... If you're the founder of one of those projects, should you be looking at, you know, getting your assets and everything off of Solana and trying to, you know, move over? Um, I mean, what's the the future of Solana now with all of this? 
yeah um you know there's there's i guess like one faction that is like uh that just strongly believes that like solana is just eos right which is like you know just like this you know one l1 out of many that try to come in in the bowl and and try to like kind of establish themselves get a little bit of interesting kind of traction um and then and then try to like sustain and then uh, ultimately die off by the time the bear comes right and then there's also this faction of like okay well there's a lot of uh interesting projects and like actually truly crypto native ideas uh, and like you know true defi primitives that are being built on solana right and i kind of sit in the middle where you know i have you know worked with and seen teams that um are you know very um you know that 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 have built really interesting and, and, and innovative products, right? Like, uh, you know, I think about Parcel, um, which is like, you know, they're building like real estate derivatives, right? Derivatives of plots of land. It's like super interesting concept, like the friction guys, uh, the what the things that they're doing with options and the options vault and stuff like that. Um, so there are interesting primitives on Solana. It's just like, you know, now you're seeing, so so the, the main problem was, okay, well, you it's really difficult to go from Solana onto Ethereum, right? Because you essentially have to rewrite the entire application because they're both written in completely different uh, languages, right? Where Solana is written uh, in Rust and then Ethereum is written in Solidity, right? Like pretty different languages have, have completely different base structures, the way that they go about kind of creating smart contracts and applications. So like it, you can't just kind of like directly fork over a project. You essentially have to like redo it from scratch. Um, and so that's a big difficulty, but now you're kind of seeing um, one, you're seeing some of these like, like fuel VM on Cosmos, right? Where you're kind of seeing some of these projects that are doing some of the rust implementations on Cosmos. So that's a potential vector where a lot of these projects can go. And then the other vector is like, uh, you see Aptos and Sui, which are these move languages and move is kind of touted as being like this beautiful programming language that was incubated out of Facebook and Facebook's DM, uh, DM and Libra projects. And, and they have this kind of like this super developer friendly, um, like language where it's very easy for you to port over projects, especially coming from Rust. Um, so I, I don't think Solana is dead. I, I, and, and the reason why is because they do have a community, right? You name some of these big NFT projects like D-Gods, like Utes, um, you know, like the, um, you know, some of the apes like Monkey Business and, and some of these other projects, um, Degenerate Apes, right? So, so there, there is a little bit of a culture and a, like there are some interesting primitives that are being built. So it, it's not super realistic for like everybody to just say like, oh, we're just going to take our toys and go home. I think Solana will be here, but, you know, I don't think that it's kind of going to sit here as one of these like, you know, like uh, I, I think its role as an Ethereum killer is kind of dead, right? Like, you know, I think uh, especially after you saw, I, I guess like maybe two months ago, like all of the, uh, uh, you know, the, I guess these kids were like kind of just rolling Solana DeFi TVL into like multiple projects over and over again. And basically they were just like taking the liquidity, borrowing it, you know, putting in this project, borrowing it. And essentially they were just like running this big Ponzi, which made Solana DeFi TVL total value lock look really high when in reality it wasn't. So like, there's not a lot of liquidity there. Um, so I think it's days as an Ethereum killer are just dead. Like it's just not going to happen. Uh, but I do think there's a place for like these alternative L1s, whether it's like, um, you know, what, like whether it's the EVM ones or the non-EVM ones, like I tend to think that the EVM one, like the EVM L ones, like, um, you know, I guess Polygon, you can kind of call that, but Avalanche, Phantom, guys like that. I think that's more likely uh, to kind of keep a place in the market as an alternative to Ethereum mainnet. But overall, I mean, I still think like L2s are, are like L2 season is coming. ZK EVMs are, are the, you know, zero knowledge Ethereum virtual machines are, are very, very close. Like Polygon ZK EVM is like, 
it's it's really 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 close um it's coming so uh, yeah I, I think like the alt l1 trade is dead i i guess big picture so Ishan, we're, we're getting more love for you here in the chat. Hopefully everyone is uh, following you on Twitter. Um, again, Ishan here, uh, a thread on Twitter, October 5th, that uh, highlighted some red flags that he saw with FTX. So um, Ishan, you said at the time that you were pulling your capital out of FTX. Uh, uh, if you don't mind me asking, you know, where are you storing your crypto now? You know, is it on platform? Is it cold wallet? Do you own crypto right now? Like, how are how are you approaching this now after seeing FTX uh, collapse? Yeah, I am. A, I am a massive ledger proponent. I I think not. You know, I just don't think it makes sense to ever keep. It definitely doesn't make sense to keep any of your capital with a a, a centralized custodian. The only person I would possibly like ever leave my capital with is maybe Coinbase. Um, and and even that, especially in this climate, like, I, I you know, if, if someone were to come for like a 90% bank run, like I think big picture, like what, what people don't understand is like FTX went through a massive bank run that they were not expecting, right? Like they said that they were keeping like 24X daily deposits on hand. Like that should typically be enough, right? Because like, when are you going to get such a surge where like 24 times your normal like withdrawal volume is going to go? And like, it's not that this like this bank run issue is like, you know, like only in like centralized exchanges, right? Like banks have had this issue too, right? Like, you know, uh, the bankless guys like to say we're like speed running the history of finance, right? Like back in the 20s and 30s, we saw bank runs all the time and banks got destroyed, right? And that's when they had to do, you know, some more proof of reserve stuff. They That's when they had to, they said, okay, to fractional reserve banking, right? And that they have the minimums and they only have to have so much on hand, right? Like, I, I think it's kind of unfair to be like, oh, FTX was just so terribly ran. Like, you know, your 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 local JP Morgan Chase, like if, you know, everyone on your street were to go and take out cash and take it out, like they would probably be in a bank run too. that like one location. Right. So I, I don't think this is necessarily like a crypto unique issue. Like I think this is just like a, a finance issue and like a capital efficiency thing. Right. Like having 100 percent of reserves just doesn't make sense unless you're like circle, which is like that's your entire value prop. It's like we're just going to be 100 percent backed all the time you know, totally transparent reserves. Um, so big picture, I, I I don't think it's like necessarily like this super, you know, like exclusive thing that only happens in crypto. I think kind of circling back, um, it's it's more so about like, I, I'm a huge proponent of like the decentralization, right? And like, I think everybody should have a ledger. You shouldn't trust any centralized custodians. You should keep all your, uh, you, you should keep all of your funds in, in a cold wallet um, that, you know, only you have access to that has multiple layers of security, right? Where nobody can touch your funds unless they have your ledger. Um, and even that they would need your password that, you know, they would need your password to your MetaMask, they would need your password to your ledger itself. Um, so I, I, I think that, you know, I, I think big picture, the winner is DeFi, right? Where these centralized institutions and these centralized counterparties are the issue, right? And how are they solved? It's solved by DeFi, right? Like, you know, for example, you saw, uh, you know, when the bank run started, you saw Alameda go straight to Abracadabra Finance, Abracadabra Money. And you saw them go and pay off their bad debt against their FTT, right? Because they had to, right? Like DeFi is going to get paid or they're going to take your collateral and liquidate that, right? So DeFi doesn't care who you are. It doesn't matter if you're SBF and you donated uh, $100 million to the Democratic Party. They don't care if you're like Joe Schmo who has like $5 in his, in his wallet, right? They treat everybody the same, right? If you're it, – because it's not run by social, you know, pressures and, and like, you know, social capital or anything like that. It's run strictly on math. So like math is the winner and that's what DeFi is all about, right? Like we don't want to have any of these outside factors that cause like these, uh, 
uh, like unfairness in the system or anything like that. It's like, hey, do you have your do you have the money to pay back your loan for your, to get your collateral back? You don't. OK, well, like your interest rate, your interest is still going to keep running up and and you're still going to have to keep paying this interest. Uh, and as soon as you're ready to pay it back, like you'll pay it back to me. Right. So like while, you know, average guys and, and big hedge funds and stuff have all of their money locked in FTX that they might never see again, like DeFi fully collateralized. Right. Running as smoothly as ever. Not a single hiccup you know, knock on wood right now, like no major hacks or exploits or anything like that besides FTX themselves. But again, like centralized custodian, the, the, the way they're doing things is, is, you know, you don't know if it's a, if they're getting hacked or they're kind of like acting like they're getting hacked and they're hacking themselves. Um, but I, the big, like the, the winner is DeFi itself, right? Because these permissionless systems have to get paid back. And, and that's kind of the bottom line that C5 didn't work again, once again, right? And I would even classify Luna as like a pretty centralized protocol because it was mainly Doquan just running the show. But like these truly permissionless open source protocols have never worked better under crazier conditions, under more volatility, and just still chugging along doing exactly what they're supposed to. So, you know, the best possible scenario would be for the government to acknowledge that and say, hey, well, like, let's bifurcate between these centralized ecosystems and these centralized projects and, and companies. I would, I would call them more companies than anything versus like these decentralized protocols, right, where there's nobody running anything. And it's literally just run on contract and code. Uh, and you know exactly what's going to happen as soon as you, you, know, you start to use it. Um, so overall, I think like DeFi is the big winner for sure. Yeah, I, I love the comments on the the bank runs from you know decades ago. That was something I talked to um, or talked about with a couple of coworkers, right? Like I remember watching as a kid, "It's a Wonderful Life," an old movie where like there's a scene in there where then there's a bank run, you, you know. And again, the banks don't have to have all your <laughs> reserves on hand; they only have to have so much. But you know, now there is all kinds of regulations. Your, you know, deposits are insured a little bit different, but, you know, I always like to kind of, you know, play that analogy a little bit. Uh, Ishan, a couple of questions here before we let you go. I, I want to talk a bit about um, Sam Bankman-Fried, right? The, the co-founder of FTX, the CEO, like, obviously, you know, a lot of people loved him for a while. We had comparisons to JP Morgan, Warren Buffett. Um, now a lot of people hate him. Um, like, what's your lasting impression of SBF? Was he a genius gone wrong? Was he, you know, a fraud from the start? Was he someone with too much power? It went to his head. Like, what does what your gut say you're going to remember SBF for? Um, yeah, so I, I think the biggest thing and the biggest takeaway is that, like, uh, and, and we're still kind of gathering all this information, but, uh, you know, he was definitely as soon as he touched customer customer deposits, right? No matter what reason, but as soon as he started taking the average person's money, who, you know, was was fraudulently led to believe that that capital would be safe, like that is a that is a point of no return, and that is when you cross over into like the most nefarious possible actor out there, right? Like, you know, as soon as you start taking money from the bank, like you are at the top of any criminal list, right? Uh, so. While he might have, you know, like how bad it was, what the causes of this massive hole in the balance sheet, you know, so some people are saying that, you know, Alameda just got into such a big hole and they just kept feeding this hole and collateralizing FTT and, and borrowing in order to help trade out of the hole, or whether it was like they just made too many illiquid investments and spent a little too much money too fast and weren't properly accounting for like their balance sheet. Either way, as soon as he touches customer funds and he knew that he did, because there's no way you get a $9 billion hole 
out of like 16 billion in deposits, right? Like you're over 50% under. There's no way that happens until you actively agree in a small circle that we're going to start taking people's money and try to trade out of this. As soon as that happens, like, you know, anybody that's been on Vegas, like been to Vegas has been on tilt, right? Like, you know, you play a little blackjack, you know, you, you lose a couple close hands and you kind of get on tilt and you're like, okay, let me kind of double my, my double my bet. Oh, I lost again. Let me double it again. Right. As soon as you get on tilt, like, and he starts taking customer money at that point, he is like as bad as it gets. Like there, there really can't be like, this is the, he's made off. Like, uh, you know, if, if that's true and and it's obvious at this point that he did touch customer funds, like, there, there's no difference between SPF and Madoff. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't care about the effect of altruism and the, the, you know, all the narratives and all of that. Like, you take hard or like regular people's hard-earned money that they trusted you with, and not only was it FTX.com, but it's FTX US as well. And that he's going to jail for a long time. Like, yeah, I, you know, and I know people talk about his family and and the political connections and cachet that his family has, but you know, the amount of money that you're talking about, people are out of. Uh, you know, people aren't going to rest until he he's rotting in a hole for sure. That was going to be my next question is, you know, what, what's the punishment here? Um, but you just answered it, right? So should spend a lot of time in jail. Um, and I like that comment, right? That people aren't going to rest, you know, until they see that happen. Hopefully this isn't one where we can just, you know, brush it under the rug, forget about it in a couple of years. Um, with that being said, uh, last thing here, Ishan, obviously, a ton of people are following this story. There's a ton of interest in it, both good and bad. Uh, it sounds like we're going to get a movie at some point, right? Michael Lewis, who's written several books, apparently was following SBF the last six months. The movie rights are being shopped. Um, like, do you think we need a movie about this? Or do you think it, you know, will help, you know, somewhat make SBF, you know, maybe more of a hero than he deserves to be. Like there was comparisons to him being Luke Skywalker, CZ being Darth Vader by Michael Lewis. Like, do, do we need a movie and what could that do for SBF's legacy? Um, you know, I think like uh, the movie's going to happen. It's just too crazy of a narrative. And, and there's too many people that are too close to what's going on that like, it, you know, it's going to be like a hundred million dollar movie that's, you know, going to, 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 to make quite a bit of money. Um, I mean, like, I, I guess I don't like really personally care too much whether there's a movie, but what I care more about is that, are we going to get to the bottom of what actually happened? Because that's all I really care about is like, you know, when, what was the point of no return? And who was in the room that made those decisions, right? Was it SBF himself? Was it, you know, these like kind of shady co-founders that he had that no one's really heard of, like Gary Wang and, and, and some of these guys are like people no one's ever heard of um, that just happened to be now they're saying that he's the co-founder and he was kind of like the brains behind a lot of the operations, right? And, and how did this whole happen in the first place, right? Was it like, was this contagion from Luna and Three Arrows Capital where they had a lot of that counterparty risk from just the market dying in general? during that time where they they got into a big hole and then they tried to kind of get out of it and and uh you know collateralize ftt borrow some stable coins take that borrowed money try to go back into the market and try to win some more at the casino lose more money and then you're in a situation where oh like i i have these loans i don't have the money to pay back the loans and ftt is going down in price we have to protect this price or we're going to get liquidated and billions of dollars in ftt is going to hit the market like where was that point of no return where did this nine billion dollars magically go and how involved were 
you know, what, what did Sam Trabuco know, right? He left a month and a half ago. What did he know? What did Brett Harrison know, right? Like these guys were obviously C-suite. There's no way that they had no idea that these funds were just like, you know, these balance sheets looked awful, made no sense. No one understood where any of the money was coming from. Money was just popping out of thin air. So I want to hear what Sam has to say. I want to hear what Brett Harrison has to say. I want to hear how involved Caroline was in this whole process, right? Because she was co-CEO, now she's top CEO. Uh, one of the tweets that SBF put out kind of ominously said like, something along the lines and I'm paraphrasing of like, you know, we're going to take care of all the employees except the ones that caused this whole fuck up. Right. And, and so like, you know, how involved was she in this situation? Uh, you know, how bad was SPF? Was he just a nefarious actor the entire time where he was just like, I'm just going to try to steal as much money as possible. And let me put on as good of a face as I can to steal as much money as I can. So I can, I guess, donate it or, I mean, that doesn't make much sense either. Um, so, so like, I, I just want to get to the bottom of this so we can see why this happened and then further, like, how can we prevent it from happening? Obviously, like putting your money in DeFi is going to help, but like, you know, should we have no exchanges? Should exchanges be regulated like banks? Should they be regulated more than banks? Um, those are the questions I'm, I'm, I'm looking at. Awesome. Well, Ishan, uh, this has been great. I know the chat loved you. I dropped your Twitter handle again in the chat guys. Uh, please go give Ishan a follow. Uh, so many of us missed out on this thread that would have saved a lot of people, a lot of money. Um, also probably made people some money if they shorted FTT, but, uh, uh, that's that's another story. Um, but it would have saved people money, which is what we're always trying to do. So Ishan, we, we got to have you back on, you know, in a couple weeks, because I'm sure this story will still be going on. We'll probably have new details. Maybe Sam will finally talk rather than just, you know, typing one letter at a time. Um, and we'll have, you know, more to talk about. So uh, Ishan, thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to having you back on. Of course. Yeah. Thanks again for the time, Chris. I appreciate it. And yeah, I'd love to be on anytime. Awesome. Well, everyone, smash that like, follow Ishan on Twitter. Um, so glad for all our new viewers today. I am going to bring on Alyssa. Alyssa, listening in on in the background. I mean, holy cow, like you and I have been talking about FTX for a while now. And that thread, like this, this guy was on top of things way <laughs> early. All these red flags, right? And it is just... It's crazy now looking back, right? Like at how much there really was there. Um, yeah, and, and we got some comments now saying, you know, maybe SBF doesn't go to jail. I mean, that that's the thing here, right? Is like, I really want to get a, a, a resolution, right? And see this story, you know, come to an end. So, you know, I, I think SBF is going to jail. I think there's going to be other people who fall too. Um but Alyssa, let's uh, let's wrap up here. We got a couple minutes left. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the top NFTs of last week, um, because I know that this week we are seeing the floor price on Board Apes fall. Yeah. Um, and that is due, obviously, the the overall macro, you know, of crypto, the FTX fiasco. But also we have uh, Ben Dow auctioning off several apes. We're seeing some people who, you know, were uh, lending against their apes. Um, you know, now those are, are up for sale. Um, we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, our boy Franklin, uh, you know, bid on several of those, those apes. Um, but there is just, you know, so much going on. So, uh, Alyssa, if you want to pull up uh, Crypto Slam here, um, we'll take a look at the top NFTs of the last seven days. I do see 
Bored Ape number one up 153%. That is a pretty big increase over the last week, but we're we're barely at like under six million, um, which is a bit surprising. We did have a couple 10 million uh, last week, but uh, Mutant Apes, Crypto Punks, De Gods, Other Deeds, Utes, So Rare, Utes Mint Tube, Azuki, and Clone X. So we actually have three Solana projects there. Um, which we were just talking about Solana again with uh, Ishan. Alyssa, mm-hmm. anything stand out to you here in the the top ten? No, not at all. It's a lot of familiar names. Yeah. Um, which I think is where we're at again. I, I did actually see a, a tweet today, which you know, I, I think next week we'll talk about a couple new mints that are happening. There are still projects minting, but I saw a comment that was like who is minting a collection right now like, <laughs> in this current environment? If you're an NFT founder, like why, why would you be launching? But, you know, again, like a lot of these founders, like you, you plan this out for months and like, you can't control the timing. Like, no. you know, so it, yeah. A uh, couple great comments here. Why do they all have some such stupid <laughs> names? I mean, that's kind of an opinion, right? But uh, I mean, I feel like I've probably heard that about some of these collections before. Um, no, it's not just the stupid names. It's some of the art is like fugly. Maybe some <laughs> of the cryptos too. I mean, like have weird names. Or, yeah. You know, so I, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the the run on Beanie Babies, like that that is the thing. And Alyssa and I talked about this last week, right? Like we host an NFT show, guys. You're here watching it. It is a very tough time right now to try to speak positive about NFTs and crypto, right? Yeah. Like, there is a lot of bad news and red flags out there. But again, like, it's just, it, it's, it's just like, it's not just like the stock market. But again, I'll use the analogy there, right? Right, Alyssa, that stocks go up, stocks go down. There's good companies. There's bad companies. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the rock yeah, NFTs yeah. that sold for like a million dollars. Um, like find the the good ones. Don't you know speculate in some of this these random projects. Um, you know, otherwise just don't put your money into it if you don't believe in it or if it's mm-hmm. you know money you need, right? These are still, you know, high risk, you know, projects, I would say. Some of these blue chip, you know, quote unquote NFTs, you, you see some of them on screen there. I do think they're gonna have lasting power. I mean, I, I think the fact, again, like a board ape, like the, the big picture, right, is that the floor price has dropped. It's worth a ton less. But it depends on when you got in, right? If you got a board ape early, you also got a board ape kennel club. You also got a mutant ape. You also got an other deed. You also got ape coin. You didn't lose money, right? Mm-mm. Also, you can license out your ape and make, you know, a couple grand a month. There, that's residual income if, if you're playing the game right. Like, so, you know, but yeah, so Bored Apes, 57 floor price, Alyssa. I can't remember. Um, um, shoot, man. Hold on. Let's go. Let's go here. Do we have some? Yeah. Yeah. We actually were under 50 at one point, weren't we? Yeah, we were. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know last night, yesterday, I saw just a bunch of tweets about the floor price. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good comment here. One life, one chance. Uh, uh, Chris, 
how do you calculate value with crypto like you can with stocks through earnings reports? That that's a great question, and there unfortunately there isn't a, a you know a great answer. Uh, I look at projects that have what I think is lasting power, depending on the team, depending on the community. Right? How many followers do they have on Twitter and in Discord? Are they actual people or is it bots, right? Did they have a contest where you had to tweet stuff out or you had to, you know, share the link in order to join? Is that how their following got so big? How many of my followers do I have in common with them, right? I follow a lot of people who are very smart in the crypto and NFT space. If I go pull up the page of a project and we only have a couple friends in common, chances are that other people looked at this and were like, no, I'll pass. Um, you know, I also look at, you know, can this become a movie or a TV show? Can it become a consumer product, right? Sometimes with the the PFPs, the cuter collections, quote unquote, I, I like to use my kids as a test, right? I mean, Alyssa, I've told you that a ton of times. Like I will show my kids this this artwork and if they love it, they all of a sudden, they want a toy of it. Like, you know, that could be a good indication, right? V Friends Series 2, Cool Cats. But then also they look at a project like, you know, Mutant Ape Yacht Club and they're like, oh, those look kind of uh, different. And it's like, hmm. okay, we're probably not going to sell as many Mutant Ape Yacht Club toys to kids ever, right? Because it's a little bit, you know, not geared towards kids. It, it's all about, yeah, as Gary would say, doing your due diligence. Uh, you know, same with stocks. I am... When it comes to stocks, you know, I am more of a long-term investor. I always have been. I'm not as big of a day trader or swing trader. I also am more of an investor based on catalyst though, right? So like when a movie is coming out, when they have a product launch, when they have something happening, like the World Cup, right? Like Fox. I, I don't own shares of Fox, but as an example, Fox has the World Cup they had MLB playoffs and they have the Super Bowl in February. Those are huge catalysts that can impact their revenue and earnings. So same thing with crypto, like Dogecoin, for example, right? Like we all knew when Elon Musk took over Twitter, at some point Dogecoin was going to go up because he was going to say it, mention it, tweet about it. And sure enough, he did a couple times. Like that's just one of those things where if you play the timing right, you know, it can be a good investment. Same with NFTs. I haven't minted a lot of projects recently. I like to look for the projects that I think maybe have the lasting power. Um, but that is a great question. Uh, Alyssa, you have anything to, to add to that question? That was a, a really good one, kind of comparing stocks and crypto and NFTs. <laughs> you covered like most of what... I took everything. I, you took everything. We'll steal some back. What was your okay, favorite, I, your favorite point? Some. Um, I, okay. So like, even with stocks, I, tr there's FOMO. Sure. Like back when the crypto market was booming and there was like a new coin every day, a new NFT project every day, it was all FOMO. It was mostly trash in my opinion. <laughs> um, I never followed that. I never bought those. And like, I, maybe I tried to, but I couldn't because of the gas prices, but like, if you're good at following the FOMO and selling real fast, I think that's probably where it was worth. It just reminds me of a penny stock, like a lot of these projects. But like now, and the projects that I actually bought into back then, I kind of just, I liked it. I liked the art. I kind of looked into like the artists um, and their community and seeing how 
interactive and like i don't know just like not shady i guess i just did my due diligence i read through everything i kind of like try to see oh did they just start this twitter did they just buy all these followers did they yep. buy a bunch of comments and likes and make it look like it's popular attracting all the stupid influencers who probably don't even do due diligence yeah. <laughs> uh, they follow the fomo so like yeah you just have to learn to see what to look for um i the projects i don't own that many actually i i never bought into many i i watched it the ones I do own, I, I did just, I watched their uh, community and I fell in love with their art and I joined their Discord. And then like after the mint, like a few months later, I bought into it. I didn't buy it like right when they minted. That's what I did. <laughs> and yeah. go no, ahead. Go go ahead. no, you go, go, you go. No, that's a great point. Like I remember listening to, to Laura recently, right? Uh, Miami Ape. She didn't mint her board ape. She bought it after. And the reason she bought it was because she saw the community like sticking around after mint, right? It wasn't like, what's the floor price? What's the floor price? Like, it was yeah. like, hey, let's build these apes out. Let's create, you know, intellectual property. Let's make stuff out of them. And she was like, wait a sec, I can start a business with an ape. And, you know, to your comment about Discord, like that used to be a gauge that I would use is like, yeah. If you're in the Discord and it's constantly like win mint, win mint, or like what's floor price, it can be a bad sign. And also if the mint happens and then all of a sudden Discord gets like real quiet <laughs> and people leave, it's probably going to drop in price because people are leaving. Yeah, so. the projects that I really liked watching with their Discords was uh, Doge Pound. Because that was like a real community. I haven't checked in a long time, but like that was a real community in there. Like you could tell they were all friends. They knew exactly who each yep. one was. And when they came online, it was just a nice little community. And same with uh, Fang Gang. Like I watched them on Twitter and Discord and I just really liked their community. It was bullish in my eyes. And I liked the artists, the founders. They were very nice. They were very positive. They knew what they were talking about to what I saw, like every post they did. I just like them. So that's why. And then I, I kept checking back. Like I didn't buy in right away. I watched the mint and like five months later, four months later, I just kept checking back. <laughs> and once I found like the NFT or the pick, the one I liked, I was like, that's it. I'm taking it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, Alyssa. Well, we are out of time. I mean, that interview with Ishan was so great. We got through a ton, but I definitely want to bring him back on. I think all our viewers want him back on. Ton of information there. Um, but Alyssa, I mean, on Thursday, we'll have our So Rare segment with Mitch to talk about lineups. We've got a lot to talk about with the World Cup. Um, we've got Cristiano Ronaldo NFTs happening, Manchester United NFTs happening, so rare launching World Cup NFTs. And even Alyssa Adidas has a commercial for the World Cup that if you watch close enough, there is a board ape in the commercial. So we didn't get a board ape Super Bowl commercial, but remember we did have the eToro commercial with the board ape. Adidas is putting their board ape in their commercial. So uh could be a positive thing to get that in front of millions of people watching the World Cup. So we will be covering all that on Thursday. Friendly reminder, today's show was sponsored by So Rare. Sign up now to get your 20 free So Rare NBA cards. Um, and again, watch Thursday's episode for more information. 
And also, I just dropped the link in the chat. Benzinga's Future of Crypto, December 7th in New York City. Get 20% off on your tickets by clicking on that link. You can see the great guests here right now. Garga, co-founder of Yuga Labs. So excited to talk to him. Also, Kevin O'Leary, Anthony Scaramucci, who do have connections to FTX. We are able to talk to them and ask them, right? Like, I've heard Kevin O'Leary say recently, like, not everything he invests in is going to make money or go up, but what are some of the things that he missed when he was looking at FTX? He's a very honest person, um, you know, and I think we'll talk about some of the mistakes. So I'm excited about that. So get your tickets now. Uh, the price will go up on tickets after Friday, everyone. I keep saying that to you guys. If you're going to come, get your tickets while they're cheaper. Don't don't wait. So, uh, yeah. But, Alyssa, we will catch everyone on Thursday. Thanks again to Ishan for joining us and take care everyone and stay safe out there. Bye.